That's right. Welcome back to episode 10. Yes, many critics didn't think we'd make it to this far, but guess what we have? And we're going to keep killing it till we do. Introducing this week, he's back after another scintillating performance last week, receiving rave reviews from all sectors of the economy, all sectors of the media. It's my colleague, Joe Boyden. But before we get to him, let me introduce to you what we're talking about this week. That's right. It's Crocodile Tears, baby. Never mind ScoMo crying on 2GB over radio. We're going to be talking about what real leadership looks like. A bit of a debate to and fro between myself and Boyzo. And we're also going to be talking a bit about sport as well. What have we got in sport? Hoo-hoo! <laughs> hoo How are we fellas and ladies out there? Usually goes the other way, but we're going to rock with it that. Uh, we got a round 18 review. Also, we're going to be covering Penrith's 13 in a row, extending off their 12 from last week. Going to be talking a bit about the top eight, a bit about Canberra's prospects, a bit of Cam Smith. Um, yeah, a lot of league. Uh, I got a Nostradamus for everyone, and we're also going to be talking about our Mount Rushmore of Australian sports, so stick around for that. Can't wait to get into that, but first off, let's get into the leadership topic that we're going to talk about this week. So we're going to talk a bit of a nuanced response, and then we're going to go into a broader uh, response of what we think makes a good leader uh, in all aspects of life, but obviously we look about the, the political sphere and perhaps the sporting sphere as well uh, in terms of our influences there, but the reason I bring this up is... Uh, with the coronavirus pandemic, uh, the crisis has shown uh, shone a light, I should say, on the leadership vacuum uh, that manifests itself in today's world. We've got a whole variety of populist leaders um, who sort of lack vision and foresight. Um, so we can talk a little bit about that. And also, given in the, the broader context of perhaps something you understand more is the toing and froing between the uh, federal government and state governments over the borders, um, the bipartisanship we saw at the start of pandemic has receded uh, and there's ongoing disputes and there's no doubt this is adding to the polarisation of um, certain aspects of society in today's world and I just think um, we can be bigger than that. This is obviously something we can to and fro together and often leadership isn't doing what's popular but it's doing what's right. Uh, in the words of Dan Andrews, uh, State Premier Victoria, whether you agree with him or not, I think that's a good assertion, uh, a good assertion on uh, on leadership there, but first off, uh, let's go to Joe. Your thoughts on what makes a good leader? Any any particular leaders, world leaders, any any sphere of life that you think what what brings a, the traits of a good leader out? I mean, it's an awesome topic. It's something that that I admire a lot in like people who are leaders and and leaders in society. I think I don't I don't know I, I'm. I respect all forms of leaders. I don't have specific, like singular people that I admire, but anything, anyone who can take responsibility and um, has humility and is admitting, admitting to, uh, willing to admit they're wrong, I think is the biggest trait. I am easily turned off by someone who tries to back, like makes a mistake and then tries to backtrack, tries to make excuses and act like they didn't do anything wrong. So I, I think anyone who can step up to the plate and, take responsibility for their successes and defeats, I just, I think is massive. Yeah, well, I think responsibility uh, and accountability has been something being lacking by our political leaders in certain elements uh, in this pandemic, especially in response to aged care, as we've touched on before, and other uh, smaller or sort of other areas of, uh, of society. But just going back to uh, your sort of personal anecdote there, Joe, uh, what sort of what brings what leader brings the best out in yourself? You know, when you've looked at whatever it might be a sporting team or 
or academic field or whatever it may be at work. You know, what, what sort of traits do you think bring out the best in yourself? I think someone who's not sitting from the top looking down. I think someone who's in the pack with everyone going through the same things. I mean, like, you see, it's, it's kind of like the captain coach sort of mentality where the per- it's, I find it easier to listen to someone who's in the same, doing the same things as you, going through the same problems, going through the same issues on your level and not too high above and if they if you have to be led by someone too high above then i respect someone who can get down onto your level and not put themselves above you yeah, yeah for sure and I, i've got to respect that because of um you know it's easy you know i think that goes back to sort of a sporting cliche obviously we're both a couple of keen sportsmen perhaps better at watching it than playing it um but you know the whole notion of leading by example you hear it all the time you know every second week you know a captain in the nrl or afl will say you know, my job is to lead by example. You know, these boys are, you know, sort of grown men. They know what to do. They know what their role is. But if I can lead by example and take them, go, get, get comfortable being uncomfortable, it's one of my favourite sayings. Yeah. Um, I say it quite regularly. Um, that's something that we can do there. But we'll talk a bit about sport in a moment. Getting back onto the topic here, uh, in my personal representation of what leadership looks like, I don't, for, leadership, for me, leadership is um, showing up in the bad times as much as the good. Mm. You're not picking and choosing your moments for your own personal advantage, but being there and driving the, driving success and also being there down, in the downtimes. And we tie this back to the political field that we're looking at this week is the Prime Minister was taking a pot shot at um, Anastasia Palaszczuk, the Queensland Premier, uh, by getting on the front foot and saying Australia was in danger of lo- losing its humanity and humility by not letting a Canberra woman who was denied entry to the Queensland, uh, over, over the Queensland border to attend her father's funeral. No, no doubt that's tragic. And often during the policy of crisis making, you will see the good of the many will be outweigh the good of the individual. And there's been, this is not an isolated case, there's many of them. And it's not just Queensland, you know, it's happened in South Australia, to Victoria, Tasmania, it's happened all across, you know. And it happens when people have different goals. The federal economy, you know, federal government is to sort of drive the economy, and so, but the Queensland and, and state economies, their, their desire is to protect the health of their, of their residents. So when you have conflicting goals like that, as Gomez says, not everyone's going to get on the bus. So that's the key thing for me. And, and the sense that he got on the radio and said, and, and pretend, and it was like saying he was only brought to tears by, by this specific, specific incident, I just find a bit rich. Like, where were his tears for the hundreds of aged care home deaths that happened on his federal government's watch? Whether you believe it was a result of Victoria Community Transmission, ultimately the buck stops with him. What about the hundreds of thousands of Australians adversely affected by robo-debt, 2,000 of whom had issued notices were affected by suicide? Um, And where was his compassion for the people who have been and the children that he put in detention um, when he was uh, immigration minister. So it's all good and well to go ahead and isolate this case, but when you're not being consistent across the board and you're trying to uh, assert your own uh, political motivations, that is the antithesis of leadership in my perspective. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I mean, as, as far as you say, like you say, across, consistency across the board, I think in those instances though, those crisis instances, there's, the board is so big. Yeah. So there's always going to be room for people to like criticize if he's paying attention to one instance and not paying attention to thousands slash hundreds and thousands of other issues. 
it's that's hard. You can't like you can't do that. So whether that's us giving him cut like cutting him some slack or us even being able to warn him that you maybe you can't add your thoughts into one situation because then people are going to expect you to add them to all. I think maybe just stick focus more to your job. What's what's your real job? Is it to go get on radio and give sympathy or is it to get things done? Yeah. Um, so I get it from both sides, honestly I do, but I don't know. I just think yeah, as a prime minister, getting on radio to talk talk sympathy is just opening up too many paths for other people to criticize him for not thinking about different things like you say the robo debt and and um all those instances. So so yeah, it it's hard and I do understand it from both sides. I just think as a leader you have to be careful and conscious of what you're getting involved with all the time. Yeah, and I think you make a good point that being Prime Minister, you're never going to be able to please everyone all of the time. And there's so many issues that come across your desk that, you know, you're not going to be able to go ahead and tackle them all sufficiently. But what would be nice would be some consistency around just some like general sort of qualities of compassion uh, and traits around that. We heard during the bushfires earlier this year where he was obviously widely criticised for going to Hawaii with his family on a holiday. And again, I've got no issues with him taking, you know, his annual leave and going away with his family. You know, he's entitled to that just like the rest of us are. But the timing of it was saying, in terms of saying, and things like, oh, I'm not, I'm not the one out there holding a hose or, you know, or saying it's a, it's a state responsibility when the, the fires are going across, across borders. Hmm. That, that sort of thing, um, you know, I feel sometimes his ego gets in the way. And for me, leadership starts when you leave your ego at the door. Mm. I wrote that down here. I think that's very important that, as you said, you remain grounded and you sort of remain on that fundamental fundamental level of understanding. I think empathy is a key trait for any political leader, especially in these times where crises tend to be occurring more and more often mm. for a variety of reasons. But taking ownership, I hate people... Well, I don't want to say hate. I dislike the trait of people... When they don't take ownership for the you know responsibility, that's that's why you're a minister. That's why you're a prime minister. That's why you get all the sort of benefits you do, um, you know, in terms of being a prime minister. You get Qantas flights for the rest of your life. You get a chauffeur, you know, and you get all these traits, right? Again, you're not doing it uh, for the money, but you're taking the ownership. You're the ultimate person that represents this country mm-hmm. at a national and an international level, as Harry, uh, Truman says, the former U.S. president uh, post World War Two. The buck stops with me, right? And that's the ultimate responsibility there. And as, as I said, going back to the earlier trait where you mentioned um, about responsibility and accountability being some key traits in a leader, I think that's something we could see more of. And again, I think people would appreciate that. We saw that when sort of you strip back yourself. We saw it with Bob Hawke. He was a universally sort of very, as close as you can to being a universally like leader because he sort of just showed the average person that he was while having these sort of extraordinary other gifts that he had, just to get on on the average man's level and average person's level and understand what was going on and what can actually be done to address the situation. So I think that's a good place to leave the uh, leadership debate there. We'll move on now to a bit of sports chat. Perhaps we'll go on with the leadership d- discussion a bit more there as well in terms of well, what makes a great leader on a sports field. Um, but we'll get into this shortly, just after this short commercial break. Hi, John Barillaro here, New South Wales Nationals leader. Are you an endangered koala who's just experienced the worst bushfire season in recent memory? Yeah. Well, guess what? I've got some even better news for you. The habitat that you so love, the eucalyptus trees that you so desire, 
we're ripping down even more of them this coming summer because we are desiring the ultimate endless profit of property developers and everyone else can go suck it. Welcome back to Political Football. What an honour it is for me to be doing my first introduction to a segment while I watched the try that absolutely broke my heart the other night. <laughs> what an honour. I'm actually fighting back tears. But let's get into a bit of a review of uh, Round 18. So Round 18 kicked off with a Thursday night clash, Tigers, Bunnies, Pools. Oh, mate. Don't get me started. If you were nearly brought the tears on Friday and I know I was nearly brought the tears on Thursday... Actually caught up with a couple of uh, schoolmates here. Shout out to uh, Bill Newman and Matthew Maglione. Uh, we caught up, Matthew Maglione obviously been a big South fan. We caught up at the uh, the Royal in Leichhardt, a great establishment. Another uh, great inner west pub to watch the game. Chicken schnitzel, by the way, was delicious. Might have to get down there. Beautiful. Chicken schnitzel on the chips was beautifully coated and also the coleslaw was absolutely del- uh, delightful as well. But that's neither here nor there. Getting back to the game, I thought this was a bit of a fait accompli after 20 nil in 25 minutes to the South Sydney Rabbitohs. They look like they're about to put up, run up a score. But I had just had a sneaking feeling once the possession swung back. Um, I caught, actually caught at the pub. Uh, the boys can vouch for me on this. It'll be 20 to 12 at halftime. It was. Uh, then we got it back to... Uh, so then, then it was tossing and turning. And then uh, Alex Twile got Simbin. And what was probably the pivotal moment of the game, we were causing significant trouble down there right edge defensively. Every time we went down there, there was some serious troubles in terms of overlap. Tommy Talao, young gun, gets the ball. It had a two-on-one with Gagai. Right, but Gagai went for the intercept, knocked it, just caught it before it hit the ground, went upfield. Cover of defence come, come across and do a, did a good job. Um, but Alex Twile hung on the tackle a little bit too long and... Um, got 10 in the bin. Then, obviously, Luke Brooks, a bit of Bruja, the Bowman Brawler. He launched on Gag. I can't blame him. Um, you know, Ken Dow, you know, Gag, I should stick to partying at Sin City with Ken Dow on the, uh, on the Gold Coast, um, him and G.I. Um, but, you yeah, know, we came back again. Benji, you know, ugh, it, it breaks my heart what we've done to Benji. What? Because he's obviously being moved on uh, for yeah, next year. Mate, but... he should have been moved on at the start of the season. Uh, but he, he still, you know, racked up three, you know, three try or two try assists and three line break assists. He was the most threatening out there. Brooks had a good game. I was good to see the commitment from Brooksy there, and I, I still think we should have come come over the top of him. But Benji kicking on the second tackle with <laughs> three and a half minutes to go. I thought, what the what the shit? I was gonna say, I was hoping you'd bring up a couple uh, of those mistakes. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things. I just wish Josh Reynolds could be moved on, and I'm hoping I we've got Jimmy Tarmouk on his way to. Uh, That's huge. Yeah, yeah, That's huge. yeah. So I'm a big fan of that. Just for his leadership that he'll bring, and mm. we've got a lot of young forwards. You know, I think there's only only Josh Alloy who's over 50 games, so um, he'll bring a bit of leadership. And uh, you know, he's still averaging over 100 meters a game, and we've only got Alloy and occasionally occasionally Luchley Lua on the back of that South Sydney again. Look, they, they on on their day, they can probably match it with anyone, but just defensively, I just think they'll be found out, you know? Hmm. Um, and I think some of these you know, teams like Melbourne and Roosters, um, 
and even uh, Penrith and Canberra might be able to find them out defensively. Defensively, they're sitting six now. Yeah, that's but uh, that's probably like, where they deserve to be. To be two, honest, two teams you got behind them: the Knights and the Sharks. Like Sharks can score as much points, if not more, than the Rabbits can. Um, Knights solid. Like you look at the ladder, Knights should be above the Rabbits yeah. realistically, based on yeah. how they started the season and the yeah. team they have. Yeah. But and they've also they do that typical sort of Knights plateau, you know, where they they sort of taper yeah. off, you know, and. I, Oh, I thought Adam O'Brien might be able to sort of compensate for that, but again, they've been having some issues. They obviously got got uh, their pants pulled down by the Roosters on the weekend. Mm. Uh, but yeah, moving on now to the the Friday night blockbuster that was the Battle of Western Sydney, or one of the battles of Western Sydney. That is the Parramatta Eels taking on the Penrith Panthers. Now, going into this game, we talked last week was, uh, mm. you know, were Parramatta respect force. Now. I'm a bit on the fence in relation to this one, but I'd love to get your thoughts on this one, Joe, before before I unleash. I obviously twenty to two I don't think twenty to two reflects the game properly. Yeah. I think like, don't get me wrong, all credit to Panthers eight played amazing. They had the pressure on uh Eels neck the whole game. But you'd think if you watch the first half, it was two, what, two nil? Until about yeah. 10 seconds left. Yeah, yeah. That try, I think that try was the deciding moment of the game, personally. Yeah. I just think if Eels could have held them out for the first whole 40 and come out 2-0 up, I think they would have actually had incentive to attack the line. Because yeah. Eels love playing from in front, but they they can't play from behind. They're, they're terrible at it this season and most seasons I've been alive for. But... um. I was very impressed by their defence. They let in those two tries at the end, which jacked the score up a bit, but that score realistically could have been a 10-2 game or an 8-2 game. So I still have hope. I was just really worried that they didn't attack the line once. They yeah. like, And then you've got on fifth tackle, Moses putting the ball up and it's landing. No variety. It's on, landing game. on the 20-metre line. They're not yeah. trying... They're not The field position um, attempts on fifth tackle are just... Poor. Like you, you watch Cleary. He's an expert at it. He's putting the ball low into the goal line, sits up, repeats it after repeats it. Eels did not. It just didn't even look like they wanted to attempt a repeat set. They just wanted to slow the game down and complete their set and move on. It just it was like a very passive game from the Eels. And, and I just think the uh, the underlying stat that uh, tells the truth to me is in the first eight rounds you were averaging twenty five points per game. I think coming second in attack. Now you're averaging a tick over thirteen, which I think is like one of it's absolutely like mental. In the bottom four teams of the competition, um, so your attack seems to have waned. Um, Mitch Moses only having one run. Uh, I'm not sure yeah. what Joey's doing with him. He he like that's the thing. His kicking game is incredible, but he can also run the ball really well. But he just he's not standing up. Like I I'd be so much more impressed even if he failed at this. But if he Every now and then, he just took a chance at the line. And even if it didn't pay off, I'd still be more comfortable than him just being passive and mm. just only being used for a fifth option kick. Yeah, so I think Para on the verge of um, losing their top four spot, especially you've got Tigers Para next week, mate. Big game. Big Why game. You investigate, get tickets on that one. I, I'm very confident with that. I know, yeah. you'd, hate to, I know yeah. you'd hate me saying that. That's fair enough. He, fair enough. You deserve to be given the in position the of the Tigers' homeland. The homeland um, of the uh, West Tigers. But, but it, it is being played at Bank West, unbelievably. I think uh, Leichhardt and Campbelltown, the Tigers did try to get that game for Benji and Chrissy Lawrence's farewell, but they were actually having junior league finals on those days there. And due to the COVID restrictions, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's enough time to set the ground up in time, so it'd be held at Bank West, so that'd be an actual advantage. Uh, but moving on to the other team that is threatening for Parramatta's top four spot they've held all year, the Canberra Raiders. I know you've got a bit of a soft spot for the milk, being a Canberra boy. Um, thoughts on that? They obviously put a clinic over the uh, St. George Illawarra Dragons. Can they secure their top four spot? 2019 flashbacks, mate. They're coming good. Yeah. Sticky has them standing up for yeah. the finals, 100%. Big I'm, Papa! I mean, I'm I'm confident the Raiders can win the next two games, 100%. Yeah. So I guess their top four hopes don't... they don't. It doesn't really rest on the Raiders' shoulders for them. I think yeah. it's all about what Parramatta do in the next two weeks. I mean, Parra have uh, Brisbane this weekend on um, Friday night, so... Yeah you would have to think that Parramatta will put Brisbane away. Um, and based on the for and against position, they'd want to put them away by a decent amount. I'll tell you what, there'd be some serious tears on Friday night if the Broncos got their, their fourth win of the is it fourth win of their season, only the second after the lockdown against the uh, the much vaunted Parramatta Reels. But um, I doubt that'll happen and I think you'll see Parramatta win obviously the margin to be confirmed. But going back on now to your Nostradamus, I believe, while we're on the Canberra Raiders. Talking about Raiders, yes. So my Nostradamus this week isn't crazy. It's not out of the blue. Like, they were runners-up last year, so it's not not incredibly uh, wild. But I think the Raiders will play in a preliminary final this year. I don't know who it'll be against, but I do think they're going to come into the finals raging off a few wins and ready to go. I think they'll play for a prelim. Can't tell you if they'll win or if they'll lose, but I know they'll play for a spot in the grand final this year. Wonderful. Yeah, I think that's a, a good prediction. I like it. It's uh, bold enough, but it's realistic enough that it may may well come true. Uh, final topic of review here. Uh, we saw Cam Smith put on another clinic up there on the Sunshine Coast. It's a lot of conjecture. Obviously, the Tigers coming up against um, the Storm this week, the understudy versus the master. The master v the apprentice, however you want to frame it. Cam Smith taking on Harry Grant, who's obviously in contention for Queensland selection later this year. He um, personally, Harry Grant said yesterday that he'd like to see Cam Smith play on. I'm not sure if that's a hint that he wants to stay at the Tigers. I'll take it as one that he does, <laughs> uh, but I, I think we'll be heading back there. But um, your thoughts: Should Cam Smith play on, and has he earned the right to make a decision at the end of the season rather than now, despite the salary cap concerns that you know Melbourne may have? Definitely, no, definitely. One, yes, he should definitely play on. He's still a serviceable player. He's still killing it. Like, league isn't like one of those sports where if one player, say for example basketball, if a legendary player has one bad season, it can arguably uh, hurt their legacy. But League's not like that because it's such a team sport where each it's like the weakest uh, link in the chain can be kind of hidden because you've got so many other got blokes on the field. So I think he should definitely play on hundred percent. But and I do think he has earned the right to make his decision after the season because it's such it's so uncertain. Everything's so uncertain right now. Like we we know the virus is getting a bit better here. We know we're working towards solutions, but ultimately. It's, things are still so up in the air. So it, I think it's more than fair for players, especially of his calibre, to be able to hang on to make a decision. Wonderful. Definitely. Yep. And now moving on to my beef of the week. Uh, my beef of the week specifically this week goes to uh, the journalist from the Daily Telegraph, Paul Crawley. The man speaks out of his back pocket. <laughs> I don't know how he's still allowed on NRL 360. 
I'm coming for his appearance as as you might not, might might or might not know him for my uh, story last night. I actually got my feature a question featured on NRL 360, which was uh, hey. quite good. Yeah, thank you. Debut. Um, but Paul, we'll get to that in a second. Paul Crawley, uh, all he does is when he gets on there, he's got his favourite clubs. He's a spokesperson for Wayne Bennett. He gets on there and just speaks out of his ass. He never gives. He's always ripping the Tigers. I'm not sure what the Tigers did to him. What the Tigers did to him, but if it was me, I'd be unleashing Joe Exotic on him, and ripping him a new one. Throw him in the cage. How did he, he disappeared? We don't know. We don't know. <laughs> and we guess what? We don't care. We don't care. But that's um, that's my beef for the week. Just a small one this week. But um, my question that I posted to NRL 360 last night that uh, Benny Ike and, uh, and Paul Kent. Uh, jumped, jumped all over was um, for the full transparency integrity of the game why doesn't the NRL publish their salary player salaries your thoughts on this one mate? I 100% agree I, I mean if it's if it's written that they don't have to I get their like like why would you do extra to show everyone what everyone's yeah. earning when there's not a rule that shows that you have yeah. to but but I also think if people are calling for it and you don't, you must have something. Surely you have something to hide. That's right. And people who have something to hide are almost admitting guilt without saying a thing. So I 100% agree. It, but I don't even get why it has to be a problem. If players are getting paid more... We all sort, of know, we we all know, sort of know roughly what players are on anyway. This would just confirm any sort of speculation around you know things like the salary sombrero, you know, the team's... Like the Roosters and the Storm, you know, and we've seen so many issues over the years with salary cap cheating that it doesn't seem to discourage teams from doing it. We've seen, obviously, Melbourne no. do it. And it right? never will. Melbourne got obviously heavily punished for it. They lost two premierships, but sort of, you know, they got lost the two premierships, but the players still got the premiership. You know, they still celebrate it. It's like when you win a gold medal at the Olympics and oh. you get it taken out after the fact. You know, that destroys the whole fact of it. You know, you could you could be sitting here, rather than having a 36-year premiership drought, you could be sitting here, you know, winning the 09 premiership. Yeah, and absolutely. All the hindy jokes could be out the window because he's won a premiership absolutely. with the Parramatta Eels against a cheating team in the 20s. And we've seen Manly cheat. We've seen, obviously, Para. Mm. Para had their uh, issues with the cap, um, obviously. And Cronulla Sharks yep. systematically cheated the cap. And we received the same punishment for something that wasn't even paid. It just does your head in sometimes. You can't take it away from them, though. Like, because yeah. any champion you hear talk about their winning moment, they tell you about the feeling they had when it, when it was yeah. all over and That's when it was right. all done. So you can't take that away from any player on the yeah. team. Like, and to, to the players, if, you, if you're one of those players getting paid more than people know, yeah. that's not your problem. Yeah. Like, yeah, you could... Ethically, you could probably, like, do not, like... Deny the money and just move on with your regular salary, but it's not their fault. It's not their problem. I I think it's it's all on the club and yeah, like and I mean if you get caught getting paid more than people know, people are gonna probably hate you. You'll lose some fans, but in in reality, it's all on the club. And as um as PK said last night on the show, this is a fascinating question, Ben. It's a fascinating question, and we're gonna leave that there. We have got a special guest joining us shortly. Um, we'll introduce him in a second, but before that, uh, we've got another commercial break coming to you. Let's go. Hi, Elias Moses here, founder and director of Elite Sports Management. Are you a current NRO or AFL star looking for some extra money in your contract? Well, guess what? I am the manager for you. Not only will I promise you money that I cannot longer get, 
I will lose my accreditation for doing shoddy deals for you. But best be sure, I'll always have your best interest at heart. Elias Moses for Elite Sports Management. All right, welcome back to Political Football. I'm so excited to introduce our special guest today. I've been looking forward to this all week. Everyone, he's a long-time listener and recent winner of the US Open, Dominic Team. How are you, Dominic? Hello, Joseph. I have never smiled so much as I did in last week's final of the US Open. Remember, there is no I in team. Very good. Yeah, I agree, Dominic. That's a huge point you're making. I've never. I've, that's pretty original. Um, what does this victory mean in the course of your career over the like over your all your successes? Where does this victory fit in? Well, for me, Dominic team, this final is absolutely imperative of what I'm going to achieve. Yeah, hundred percent. I like how you, yeah your responses are nice. This short, was sharp. my yep. fourth U.S. Open, and I won the title. Coming back from two sets to love down. And how did that feel? How did that winning feeling feel when you, when you won that last point? My legs were like jelly. <laughs> Full credit to Alexander Zverev of Germany for his performance in that game. But remember, he is not the fitness king that I am, Dominic Team. And Rafael Nadal better keep his back open because I'm going to slay his ass at Roland Garros. Very good, mate. I can't wait to see that. Um, you just shared a little, little bit of your thoughts on some other players in, in the tournament. How do you feel about Joker? The Joker is a joke. To hit that woman in the throat <laughs> with a tennis ball. It's nothing short of disgraceful. 100% agree, mate. Well, uh, it's been a pleasure having you on here, mate. Um, if I can just get a couple last words from you um, over what's to come next and uh, give us a let's go if you can. I'm going to be launching my own fragrance called Team. You get it because my last name is Dominic Team and there's no I in Team. <laughs> Thanks for joining. Thanks, mate. That's unreal. Um, thanks for coming on. Good luck in the future, and we hope the best for you and your team. Thank you, Joseph. Well, thanks very much for joining us, Dominic, uh, echoing the sentiments of Joe. Um, definitely our most high-profile guest we've had so far, and potentially next week we'll try and get Rafael Nadal's rebuttal on your claims that you're going to slay him at the French Open later this month. But moving on now here to um, a bit more of a broad sweeping discussion, a discussion you might see on ESPN's first take, but we're coming here with an Australian version, the Mount Rushmore of Australian sport. That's right, Joe and myself are going to give you our top four personal sporting moments uh, in the light of the Kathy Freeman documentary that aired on ABC on Sunday night. Now, I'll give it to my compatriot here, Joe. He's going to give us with his four and a justification. Let's go. I'm, I'm being very keen for this. Uh, mine are a little bit personal. Not as much. I know yours uh, have been more broadly 
uh, focused on Australian success in sport on an international stage, which is amazing. And I'm all with that, but mine are a bit personal. First off, one of my favourite sporting moments ever, Jared Haynes try against the Dragons. Uh, to push them over the line, um, to get then versus the Bulldogs in the prelim. Just cranked the whole Dragons team, crosses the line for the Hain plane. Um, I was a... I was nearly in tears at that moment of my life. Uh, yeah, doesn't I don't think it needs any further explanation. Second, Steve Smith returned centuries in the Ashes just recently. Um, if you don't, if you're not into cricket, it, it doesn't really matter. If you if you check all this out, if you watch, especially if you watch the Test on uh, Amazon, that can give you a whole lot of context about this incredible moment from a return from such a. Uh, such a dark moment in his career. There's actually, there's sport. actually on speaking of the test, not to uh, interrupt you there, but if anyone hasn't seen or has, doesn't have an Amazon Prime subscription, there's actually like a ninety minute feature that's going on on Fox Sports tonight, eight definitely. p.m. I'd hundred recommend definitely. Uh, and then third, so humans have managed to build skyscrapers, we built cars, and we've managed to elevate. You know, get to the top of things. Uh, Elon Musk making rockets right now. But my favourite part of Elevation is Stevie Hooker's gold medal in the Olympics. (laughs) Just watching that boy, that sweet gingerly boy raise over that bar. Oh, mate. I tell you, I was pumped. I'm still pumped. I'm still buzzing off the old Stevie Hooker. So if you're out there listening, Stevie, which I know you probably are, come on the podcast one day, mate. We'd love it. Uh, And then finally, Shane wants ball of century. Can you beat it? I don't think he he can. There's, there's nothing nothing can beat Shane Warne's ball of century. So that ball defied gravitational force, man. That's it, mate. That's it. That, I've got, well, I can't really fold that. Um, a bit of a personal element in there with the, with the Hayne plane, but the other three, I mean, I've got to respect Stevie Hooker in the pole vault. You know, you never think an Australian will win that sort of event. Um, but it's sensational. Um, Steve Smith, you can't, you can't fault that. And, and just a, just a quality, quality list all around. And um, yeah, viewers, if you're listening, I know if, I've had hundreds of questions being sent in over the course of the last couple of days uh, in anticipation of our questions answered segment, which will be coming up shortly. Uh, But by all means, if you want to give some reflections and thoughts on Joe's top four, Rushmore moments, by all means, send them in. But moving on to mine now, and again, as Joe mentioned earlier, I've gone to more of Australians performing on the international stage rather than sort of um, domestic-oriented moments. So leading off here, I'll go in chronological order, chronological order of how they happen. Um, I'm going to go with the America's Cup, um, 1980, 1983, I think it was, um, 93 or 4, obviously a bit before my time, but just given the fact that no other country besides the Americans had won this before, and then we came in with a bit of Australian ingenuity with the old wing keel, John Bertrand and the team getting it done. Uh, winning the America's Cup was simply sensational. Obviously, you got that famous line where Bob Hawke on the I think it was on a Monday or it was it happened midweek, and he says, "Any boss who sacks their uh, staff for t- today is a bum," you know, and uh, that's the sort of leadership we're talking about. Um, so you know, it was an historic moment, um, and uh, I've got to give credit to that. Anything that's uh, sort of world first, you got to respect that. Moving on to uh, second moment. It, uh, two of my moments come in the Sydney 2000 Olympics, quite fitting, seeing it's 20 years on from that, and it was probably our, our greatest moment on the international stage. The first night, 4 by 100 metre 
freestyle relay. I love this event in every Olympics. It's a must-watch for me. I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the pool. I know Millie Jeffcock is too. If you're listening, shout-out to you. Um, the, this was simply, simply remarkable. The Americans have had a stranglehold on this event since it had been introduced. The, they had much faster times. You know, they just pumped 100-meter freestylers out for fun. Um, and then, but our boys, the challenge, Michael Klim, leads off with a 48-1-8 world record at the time. In the, in the, and then you got the boys, Ashley Callis and Chris Feidler, you know, going sub-49 and doing their part for the team and making sure they weren't going out too fast. Even if the Americans caught them, they weren't panicking and bringing it home with the second leg, which obviously, given Australia's racing uh, history, given it, like the endurance pedigree, they're much stronger in that second part of the 50. And then obviously... Ian Thorpe going in against Gary Hoare Jr., who said before, it was taken a bit out of context, he's actually quite a nice guy. We're going to smash him like Gibson Guitars, because that's who his sponsor was. Uh, obviously, you know the famous one after the event. But you think, oh, Gary Hoare Jr.'s got him here. He's up by about uh, half a body length of the turn. Thorpe, he just come, he, remember, he just won the 400 metres an hour ago. You know, his first ever Olympic gold. And then he comes out here and then swims a, second, a wonderful second... 50, comes over the top of Gary Hoare Jr. Boom, new world record. The, the, the words of Dennis Cometti still ring in the ears. And what a moment it was. And what a moment it was. Uh, and then moving on to the 25th of September, 2000. Now, I think uh, this, this one is, is a special one for Australia. Given, given a significance, given the, the sort of movement around reconciliation at the time, She's, she won 42 of her last 43 races between her silver medal in 1996 and the 2000 Olympics. She, she had 19 million eyeballs on her at the time. They couldn't get any more pressure. Um, I wasn't there personally. My mum was there at the event, um, working for Deutsche Bank at the time. And she said the anticipation, the noise, she's never experienced anything like it before, anything like it since. And to... Go in there and deliver and get the gold under that enormity of pressure. And, you know, Australia's track medals, like, you know, it's like Groundhog Day. You know, it's every, every you know, it's a once every miracle that we win on a track given the talent that goes around the world. But she delivered in what was a, a symbolic, historic moment for Australian sport. And you've got to respect you gotta that. you got to say her name. You're leaving people Hi. on the cliff. It's Cathy Freeman. Let's go. You know who it is. It goes without saying, that's how iconic the moment was. And moving on to my final moment, and perhaps the one most sincere to my heart, the one that gets down in the trenches and pulls my heartstrings in a thousand different directions, is Cadell Evans, 2011 Tour de France winner. Why? Because you know why? He was the first man from the Southern Hemisphere to achieve such glorious status. He beat a field of drug cheats. You asked me why Cadell wasn't on drug cheats? He's got a VO2 max of 90. That's double the average man. Double the average man. He's got the physiology of a bloody gazelle. <laughs> and he, he climbed the mountains. He beat the Schleck brothers who were later found on drugs. Remember, he came second twice before to Lance Armstrong and Alberto Contador, both now who have been found to be drug cheats. And he delivered on one of the most grueling, insane events in the world. Three weeks of cycling over 3,000 3, 3, 3, kilometers cycled. Mountain stages, 2,000 metres above sea level, and he delivered for Australia in what was a historic moment. Him coming down the Champs-Élysées with the yellow jersey, cheers and the champagne. It was a sight to behold, and one I'll never forget, and one I'll be tugging to the grave. So that is my top four Mount Rushmore moments. Again, 
I'm not sure how you could beat that, but if you've got any questions or queries about that, send them through the discussion pages of our podcast and we'll get to them sooner rather than later. But moving on now to our, just your, before we go there, Joe, your reflections on, on those. That is a polished four. Yeah, perfect. Uh, I can't fault you on any of them. Honestly, they're all interchangeable for some of my top four moments, so I'd 100% back you on that. That relay, jeez, yeah, the hair yeah. standing up on the back of my neck there, oh, mate. mate. I'm looking, for, looking forward to it next year as well. How good. You know, next year is going to be a tidal wave of sport, but good. we'll get to that shortly. And yes, here we go. You're- well, welcome back to the final part of the podcast. This has no doubt been a roller coaster of a podcast of emotions, a tidal wave, breaking news that the LA Clippers have been bounced after letting 3-1 against the Denver Nuggets. Denver Nuggets into the Western Conference Finals against the LA Lakers. Um, you've got a question here from Harry Tate. He's saying, Boyden, who are you predicting to go win through from the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference? West, Lakers are winning 100%. It's just matchups don't favour the uh, the Nuggets there. I mean, you it's you got the best player... I think the best player in the world, my favourite player, Anthony Davis, against uh, Jokic. But I think that's the hardest matchup Jokic could ever hope for. Um, Lakers win that in five. Uh, the East is a bit harder, but there's so much history there between those two clubs in playoffs and uh, regular season throughout the years. Um, I, I don't know. I have a feeling about the Celtics. I know the Heat took game one today, but it was an overtime Double game. overtime, mate. Oof. And um, Celtics had a few chances to go ahead. Uh, they they didn't um, come through. But I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if you saw Celtics in six. Yeah. 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 There's your answer. Uh, Toby could be seeing the old-fashioned Lakers-Celtics. Another chapter in that rivalry. That's what it's all been building up to. And... I think if it goes there, if it's Lakers-Celtics, it's Lakers. Yeah, yeah. Easy. and what a story that would be after the uh, tragic passing of Kobe on his, honouring his Massive. legacy. Especially, am I wrong in saying that his last chip was against the Celtics yeah. or maybe the second last? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. 2010? Yeah. Yeah, so there you go. That would be quite the... Paul uh, went on, and, on the stretcher just to take a poop. Yeah, yeah. There you, there you, back. <laughs> there you go. Um, next question here. Joe, I believe you got one for me. I do. It was uh, Arbonita Fish Big. Well, have you ever been down to the Gulf of Mexico in the in the spring? I haven't, mate. I haven't. Bonita fish are huge, man. They are trophy fish, man. You know, I've been down there with Mark Cuban, you know, and and Super Chef Bobby Souffle, you know, and we're down there getting that Bonita fish. That was from. I think that question was from Lewis Bonswell. And I've got one more question here um, from Matthew Harrington. Um, BJ Lailua has been described as the worst signing in history. Is that an overreaction or an exaggeration of the truth? I think it's spot on the money, mate. Spot yeah. on the money. Yeah, and the reasons for that? I came to you, I came to you when he first got signed and I, t- I warned you. I warned you of everything. You had good hopes for him. But look what happens. How many, what did he face? A suspension in what week? What round? Round nine. Round nine. Yeah. How many penalties he gives away, mistakes, mate. He's actually, uh, to be honest, I think he's actually played pretty well this year. Um, that right edge to f- attack of the Tigers has been in the top uh, two all season in terms of points scored and everything there. So uh, I back him. Uh, of course, he's got his defensive uh, lapses there as well, but he's certainly held upgrade on what we had previously there. And I think, uh, you know, he got camera to the grand final last year. 
We'll see how Canberra go with Curtis Scott in there. Let's hope he's not getting tasered. Uh, um, mate, he's got a big load off his back. He just got cleared of all his charges. Um, I, I don't know. I think he might see a bit out of Curtis Scott. And final question here from Dylan Clee, a uh, close confidant of myself. He wants to know um, the value of the Fox signing with the Tigers. He... Um, he obviously, Dylan's a big fan of the Fox, loves his speed, loves his agility. He's been talking about him going to fullback. There is talk over his contract being a unique one in the sense that he'd come in on the 500, 550 a year, so top, top winger money. And if he plays more than half the games at fullback, there'll be bonuses written into his contract so he can access that extra cash that the fullback might traditionally access. Your thoughts on the Fox? Can he make a transition to fullback and... Um, is he the speed that the Tigers need on the outside? That's interesting about that contract. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't. I, I don't really like that. I think you know, pay the guy what he's worth. It don't, like you can't assume he's worth based on his position. I mean, I know that's how league works. It's a very positional game, but you pay. You're paying for the player and what he brings. I don't think. Well, I suppose his value is different on the wing than it is to fullback. I mean, it certainly is, but that's just a funny thing that we can get into another time. But yeah. I, I think. Obviously, one of the best wingers in the comp, origin-worthy winger, definitely 100% for, for a winger position on your team. That's an unreal buy. I think it would be pretty silly to put him into fullback or at least put him in there straight away and not try and develop him through rigorous training over years. So maybe in a couple of years after he's come to Tigers, he can jump in the fullback jersey. But I think after coming off so many seasons as a prolific winger, just hoping that he can slot in a fullback with no uh, experience in the NRL at the position, I, I think that would be pretty immature from the Tigers. Yeah, well, you heard uh, Boyzo's word there. Um, seems pretty set on that. Um, again, I think it would be a great signature. Just can't wait for it to be officially announced. I think Melbourne are playing hardball uh, in respect to uh, in respect to getting a player in return because uh, obviously he's got another year of his contract to go, but they both agreed at the start of, last, start of this year that he would be free to go as long as I could meet someone in return. So whether it involves another club, getting another player there, or there was talks about David Offaluma, which obviously we would have no chance of entertaining as Magister. No chance, that's what you've got. Vince McMahon there, how you going? Long time listener of the podcast, <laughs> but we're getting a bit rogue now. We're going to finish it off there. Um, I think it's been a great episode. Send in your thoughts, uh, but we're going to send you out the same way we brought you in with a bit of sympathy for the devil. Can I see Adam?